Now, we have been in a series. I want to draw your attention to your notes, if you'd grab those and pull those out, no matter where you are. Because we've been in a series called All You'll Need, and we've been talking about how Jesus really is the most satisfying gift of Christmas. He satisfies everything. And if you remember in week number one, we talked about how Jesus is the one who gives us meaning for our life. We talked about the logos and what that means. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. The logos has to do with the rationale of life, the logic of life. Why are we here? And Jesus says, I have the answer to that. And then, if you remember, last week, Pastor Steve, our founding pastor, by the way, didn't he do a great job? Did a great job. And our founding pastor, he, uh, he talked about the fear of death, how Jesus comes to answer that, and how we can have our security and know that we are right with God and walking with him, and we can walk securely. Today, in this third week of He's All You'll Need, I want to talk about how Jesus is really a priest for our pain. Let's do a little bit of review if we can. What's Christmas? Christmas is God became human. And one of the things that we see in the book of Hebrews, you'll notice it right there at the beginning, is that because he's human, he is the perfect counselor. In fact, scripture says in Isaiah, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And what is the first of the names that Isaiah gives him? Do you remember? Wonderful counselor. And here's the thing, because Jesus is human, because Jesus is like us, because he's been made like us, because he has all the experiences that you and I have had, he is the perfect problem solver. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. What makes a priest a good priest? In fact, it's, a, it's interesting because some of you, you come from a Catholic background or you come from a background where you've had a priest. There are people that have come to this church and called me priest mistakenly thinking that I'm a priest. And so we all have different experiences with priests. I just want to do a review. What was an Old Testament priest like? Because there were prophets and there were priests. And a prophet was different than a priest. And sometimes because of our background, we misunderstand the role of priests. See, in the Old Testament, priests, they would both speak to people, they would preach and they would teach, but they also sympathize and they serve the people. That's what a priest does. But in the Old Testament, they were distinct in that the priest just didn't sympathize with the people and speak to the people. The priest spoke for the people. In fact, in the Old Testament, the priest always had his back to the people like this. Can you imagine if this is how we did every weekend? In the Old Testament, this is how the priest would stand because the priest had his back to the people but was turned toward God. See, his job was not to preach. His job was not to exhort. His job was not to lecture. His job was to speak to God for who? For the people. His job was to get in their shoes. His job was to feel their pain. His job was to bear their burden, to pray for them, to offer sacrifices for them. Now, I'd like to propose to you two things. When the Bible says that Jesus is our priest, there are two things a good priest has to have in order to be effective. And I think you'll agree with this if you just write these things down. Two things. First, for a priest to be effective, a priest has to be like us. Write that down. A priest has to be like us, and yet they also have to be unlike us. 
course, if you're looking to the person in the Old Testament, if you're looking for people who went looking for priestly ministry and didn't get it, there's a great example in the Bible. If you remember the story of Hannah, I've referenced it in your notes, but if you remember Hannah, Hannah was eventually the mother of who? Does anybody remember? Samuel. But at first, Hannah went to the tabernacle and she was totally in despair, if you remember the story, because she couldn't have a child. And she was looking for priestly help, and she didn't get much priestly help. Why? Because she went to the priest, and if you remember the story, the priest was cold, the priest was indifferent. And, you know, imagine Hannah. She comes and she pours out her life story to this priest, and the priest just looks at her, and if you remember the story, he just sort of says, yes, 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 I'll pray for you. Anything else? And there's no priestly connection. And if you can imagine Hannah, she just looks at him and by his words and by his heart and by his spirit, she says, this man is not like me. This man has never known unfulfilled longing. This man has never known loneliness. This man obviously has never felt deep disappointment. This man has never felt what it means to be abandoned by God. He's having a great life. And listen, that's fine that this priest is having a great life, but he can't be my priest. Because he says, yes, I'll pray for you, but there's no priestly connection. And so she gets nothing from it at all. Now, I just ask you, what if this went a different way? What if Hannah goes up to the priest and the priest looks at her and instead of feeling nothing and he's, instead of being cold and indifferent, what if he looks at her and he just begins to weep and sob? What if by his words and spirit, Hannah knows, he understands, he's known disappointment, he knows what it is to be abandoned by God, he says, I'm going to pray for you, and he prays for her right there, and he weeps with her, and he says, I'm going to offer sacrifices for you, I'm going to stand with you in this thing. What's going to happen to her emotionally? Boy, her heart's going to be lifted up, isn't it? Why? Because that's great priestly ministry. What is he being? He is being a wonderful counselor. And because of that, Hannah now, she feels like she has a backbone. Hannah now, she feels like she has someone that's come alongside her. She has an advocate because her priest is like her. Because that's the first thing any priest has to have. He ha a good priest has to be like you. But a good priest has to also, what did I say? He has to be unlike you. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let's, let's give you another scenario. Imagine Hannah goes to the tabernacle, same, same woman. She's pouring out her troubles, and she looks up, and what if the priest just looks at her and says, oh, this is terrible. You're right. Life is terrible. I don't know how we can bear it. He breaks down and sobs and hugs her. I'm going to ask you, what is Hannah going to do? She's going to say to him, maybe you better find a priest. She's going to say, listen, this isn't helping me. She's pouring out her life. He breaks down. See, you don't want a counselor who's just like you. You want a counselor who's like you, but you also want a counselor who's what? You want someone who's not only been through the dark valley, but you want someone who can tell you there's a way out of the dark valley. By, by the way, this is one of the reasons why 12-step movements work so well. Because if you've ever been involved in like a celebrate recovery or Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, you will know that 12-step movements, you walk in there and you see other people, they've been through the same valley, but they've survived. And having been there, you can know that they can say, I've been through what you're going through, but so many of them can say, I'm through it. 
Now, friends, I just ask you, why do you think that transforms so many lives? I'm going to tell you why. That's what the Bible calls priestly ministry. You don't want just someone who's like you. You want someone who's stronger than you, who can see their way through. Now, this is where it gets so exciting. Are you ready, Bullard? We ready? You ready, Milburn? All right, here we go. Jesus is the perfect priest because look at what it says in Hebrews, that main scripture at the top of your notes. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have been one who has been tempted in every way just as we are yet without sin. He's as we are, yet he's not exactly as we are. He's the perfect priest. How's that so? Because it says he's been tempted in every way. Now, by the way, that word tempt, so that we all understand it, that means that what it's really saying is he's endured everything that we endure. Somebody says, now, hold on just a minute. Jesus hasn't experienced and endured everything we've endured. He hasn't experienced everything we've experienced. Somebody says, I've gone through a divorce. I don't see in the Bible where Jesus has gone through a divorce. I had a woman once tell me, I've gone through a miscarriage. I haven't seen that Jesus has gone through a miscarriage. Some of you may say, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be paralyzed from the neck down and be in a wheelchair the rest of your life. Somebody else says, see, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to go through these things. And I just want to say to you, if that's you and you're out there and you doubt, I just want to say, there is a sense in which you're right. Experiences, all of our experiences have their external implications, but all experiences also have their core. So, if you really want to press your logic for just a minute, you could say that nobody has experienced anything that anybody has experienced. Because there is a sense in which we are all as unique as a snowflake. We're all different. But there's a core. What are the cores of those experiences that Hannah mentions? What did she feel? Unfulfilled longing. She couldn't have a baby. What did she feel? Deep disappointment. What did she feel? Alienation. Loneliness. A sense of being abandoned by God. So when the Bible says Jesus has experienced everything that we've experienced, what we're saying is he's experienced the core And I'm just going to say to you here and to everyone watching, nobody has ever had the unfulfilled longings that Jesus had. Nobody has ever had the alienation that Jesus had. Nobody has ever experienced the disappointment that Jesus experienced. And friends, there's nobody that's been abandoned by God the way that Jesus was. Whatever you've experienced, that divorce that you're thinking about, the miscarriage, the paralysis, the not being able to have a child. All of those who you say, Jesus has never experienced this. No, I'm going to say, but the core, the abandonment, the alienation, the deep disappointment, the despair, oh my, he has experienced so much more than you and me. And the worst sufferers in this room, Jesus says, "I've, I've experienced more than you. Our suffering, guys, is so much smaller than his. Like a grain of sand is smaller than a mountain. In every way, see, Scripture says he's like us. But notice, it says he's tempted in every way. And then there's a little word. What's the word? Yet. 
He's tempted in every way, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus Christ faces everything we've experienced. He faces everything many times over, but he alone responds with complete integrity. He alone responds with love. He alone responds with power. He is unlike us. Now, here's another objection, by the way, I hear from people. I heard this when I first started in ministry. They say, wait a minute. You say that Jesus has experienced everything that we've experienced, but Jesus hasn't sinned. So how could he have? See, he hasn't sinned. He doesn't know. How can he sympathize with us if he never sinned? And I just say to you, if that's you, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> because if you look carefully, and I encourage you to study this later, go to blueletterbible.org and look this up in the Greek. Blueletterbible.org. Both clauses in the Greek explain this word sympathy. And I, got, I need for you to get this. This is powerful. The writer is saying here, he can sympathize because he's like us and yet without sin. And, and what I mean by that, it's his sinlessness that is as important as his perfect sympathy and his common experiences. Let me get down to it. Okay, let me explain what I mean. One of my jobs as a pastor, and there are many of you here probably that are in the helping profession. Some of you here are even counselors. You know what it's like to counsel people. But a lot of you are in situations where you're supposed to be listening to other people's problems. Now, is it okay, you counselors, if I tell the rest of them our dirty little secret? Is that okay? I'm going to. The reason why, the main reason why we have trouble sympathizing with people, the main reason why I have trouble sympathizing with people is because when I do, it's not because I don't know what they're going through. I do. But the reason I have trouble sympathizing with people is because of my sin. Think about it. My impatience, my pride, my selfishness, my irritability. You're not over this yet? That makes it so hard for me to enter into people's lives. It makes it so hard for me as a pastor to enter into their heart. By the way, do you know that the definition of sin is self-centeredness? And as much as I try not to be, I listen to people's problems and I'm still filled with the flesh. And I get impatient. And I'm going to tell you what sin is. And I'm going to tell you what self-centeredness is. That sin is what makes you feel like, listen to this. Maybe you felt this before. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody gets it. It's that sense in your life that you have felt, you know, I'm so deep. I'm just so complicated. No one has ever faced the things quite like I've faced. Now, friends, I'm going to say, if that's you, that's called sin. And that's self-pity. Let me tell you what that is. That's self-absorption. That's self-centeredness. Nobody has experienced what I've experienced. I'm so complicated, they don't understand. Now, I'm just going to say, that is the nature of what sin is. It's self-justifying. It's making excuses. It is feeling so sorry for yourself. You are so more sinful. And by the way, the more sin has a hold of you, the more unlikely it is that you're going to be able to relate to anybody else's experience, the less sympathetic you are. In fact, you may have gone through everything that they're going through, but you don't feel any sympathy for them because you're too wrapped up in your own problems. So, therefore, it's not just a lack of common experience that keeps you from being a sympathetic counselor. 
But it's your sin that keeps you from being a sympathetic counselor. Or you could be a sympathetic counselor if you've been defeated by your problems. Those guys, by the way, make lousy counselors too. You go to them and you say, man, I can't get through this. They say, either can I, good luck. (laughs) Now, do you see why Jesus is the ultimate counselor? Jesus was totally burned. Jesus is totally in the pits. And yet Jesus is totally pure. He's totally loving. He's totally godly. He has total moral purity. That's why he's the ultimate priest. In fact, write this down. This is a key point that you've got to get. Jesus has none of the sin that eats up your sympathy. Jesus has none of the sin that eats up the sympathy. And yet, write this down just as well. He's had all of the experiences that create sympathy. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating? He's like us, but he's not like any of us. I'll tell you something. The problem, by the way, with being a good counselor, I am a counselor, and I'm going to tell you, the best counselors are people who have been burned. If you know somebody that's been deeply wounded, usually they make the best counselor. You, you, you meet people who have been scarred by that things, and they're hurting. And you know, by the way, there's a lot of wonderful talk about people wanting a wounded healer. You kind of hear that phrase a lot. I want somebody that's been through it. I want somebody that's just as wounded as I am. And I just want to say to you, no, you don't. Because a person who is as wounded as you are can't be generous with their emotions. They're too scarred. They're too absorbed in themselves. Usually they're people who, they're just too wrapped up. Or there are people who've not been through it. But Jesus Christ has been through it yet without sin. Now, friends, listen. Here's the truth of Jesus. Write this down. He loves you more than you could love yourself. In fact, the scripture says he remembers what it's like to be dust. (laughs) He knows what it's like to be through everything, yet he came through without sin, so he can be utterly wrapped up in you. He cannot be wrapped up in himself. He can be wrapped up. His heart completely goes out to you, completely comes to you. Listen to me, friends. Jesus knows how many tears have gone down your cheeks. Do you know that? Some of you, you need to internalize that this morning. Jesus knows the numbers of hair on your, hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He knows. The scripture says that Jesus keeps all of your tears in a bottle. He loves you more than you love yourself. He is the wonderful counselor. Do you remember the story? I I just referenced it in your notes. I won't read it, but remember the story where Jesus heals the deaf mute? It's in Mark chapter 7. If you've never read it, read Mark chapter 7 today. It says that Jesus was filled with compassion. He looked up to heaven and he sighed deeply. (sighs) Ah, the sigh of Jesus. What happened there? He's drained. Now, we counselors know it's impossible to listen to somebody pour out their problems. It's possible to listen to somebody and pour out their problems. And you know what you say to yourself while they're pouring out their problems to you? You're saying to yourself, I've done this. You're saying, I can't afford this. This is too hard. I can't be drawn into this hurt. I can't let myself be caught up into their pain. I can't let that priestly connection happen because you realize you're so emotionally exhausted. So what do you do? You detach. Maybe you dispense advice but you can't let that person touch you. You can't be rolled up into their heart. Do you remember, by the way, another story. I keep giving you stories, but remember the story of the woman with the hemorrhage and she touches Jesus and what did Jesus say? He says, power went out from me. You know why? 
Because that's the way he helps people. See, when Jesus helps people, he's drained. Power goes out from him. Most of us have a lot of trouble with that. You remember Jesus Christ when he was in front of the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead and Jesus is what? He's weeping. Why is Jesus weeping? Doesn't Jesus, Jesus knows in five minutes he's going to raise him from the dead. Why is Jesus weeping? Because his heart is in Mary's heart. His heart is in Martha's heart. See, he's the perfect, wonderful counselor. So here's what I want to do in conclusion. I just want to give you, and these are three closing points, really. How do you be like Jesus? How do you be a priest for his pain this Christmas? He's the perfect counselor. So here's what I'd suggest to you. I suggest to you that you engage with people. See, those of us who try to be counselors, we're always having trouble engaging. We've either haven't been through what people are going through or we're too absorbed in what we've gone through. But Jesus totally engages and makes the deep connection. Now, here's what I'd suggest that you do. Write this down. First of all, learn to engage with people personally. Write that down. Engage personally. Why? Because do you know what the virgin birth means? I read not that long ago, there was a misleading, distressing article that I read. It was called Jesus Before He Could Talk. And it was meditation on the birth of the narratives of Jesus. And the writer says this. He says, while none of this ever happened, it's all legend. He says, still, it's all very inspiring. It's really interesting. He said, the Christmas story never happened, but it works. And here's what he says. He says, the idea of the virgin birth. You know what he says? He says, we can't believe in that anymore, but it still works. That's nonsense. Now, do you know why? The whole point, the, you, know why, you know why what he says is completely and utterly ridiculous? Is because it doesn't work if Jesus didn't come as God in flesh. The whole point of the story is God really engaged personally. Now, I need you to think about this for just a minute. Write this down. The baby who was born in the manger is not just one more legend that's just pointing to truth, but the baby born in the manger is the truth to, all, to which all legends point. And it has to be that God came in flesh. Otherwise, God couldn't engage with us personally. You know what the point of the virgin birth is? Steve talked about this last week. God came into Mary right into the reproductive system of a real human being. That is called engaging personally. Do you think? Engaging personally becomes concrete. God gets entangled in our humanity. God shows his priestly spirit in the virgin birth. Listen, God is the only one who utterly engages to that degree. Utterly gets entangled. God wrapped in the flesh of a baby. God is utterly vulnerable. God held by human hands. He engages with us. Now that's the virgin birth. And so to say, well, you know, it's a nice story. It's not true, but it still works. Well, that's ridiculous. The point of the story is God happened. God's not just a wonderful idea. Listen, Christianity is based on real history. God happened in human history. God got involved. He got entangled. This means to be a priest, I'll tell you this. Listen, if you're a Christian, here's what this means. You need to start engaging. Now, I'm going to tell you, people don't like to engage today. Christians don't like to engage Listen to me. I'm going to step on your toes for just a minute. 
American Christians don't like to engage. You know why? American Christians like low commitment. You know what we like? We love prenuptial agreements. We love attending church, but we don't like necessarily committing to church. Why? We don't want to get entangled. Don't you see the virgin birth is all about entanglement? We don't like to join. We like to attend. We don't like, to, we like to come. We like to consume. We want to stay on the outside. Do we not? We don't like accountability. Why? Because with accountability comes vulnerability. And with vulnerability comes entanglement. See, my first point to you is simply this. Thank God that God isn't like that. And if Christmas is true, listen to me, friends. If Christmas is true, and if the virgin birth happened, you commit to a church. You don't just join a church. You commit to it. You, don't, you commit to people. You just don't listen to people. You know what it means to be a Christian? It means to make promises and keep them. It means to not be afraid of commitment. Look what God did. He came all the way into us. He engaged all the way down. The Holy Spirit coming into flesh. Now listen, if you're a Christian and you say, yeah, but I can't do that, I'd say, are you following Jesus? You've got to be willing to engage personally if you follow Jesus. That's what the virgin birth is. Number two, write this down. This will challenge you this Christmas. Write this down. Engage emotionally. Now, some of you, I say engage emotionally, and you're scared of what I'm trying to say here. And I guess I just want to ask it this way. Are we really, think about us as a church. Come on, Bowler, just think about us as a church. Are we really a priestly community? Milburn needs to think about this. Kerman needs to think about this. Are we a priestly community? Do you know I continually hear about people who they come to church and they really try and pour out their problems to somebody in church. And the people in the church, they just meet them with criticism and judgment. And sometimes I want to look at people and the things they say and it's like, you did what? How could you say that to them like that? When you're so harsh with people, you realize that's even worse than listening to somebody on the outside, kind of nodding sympathetically, but on the inside, you, inside, you know you're totally disconnected. No, what I'm saying is engage emotionally into their pain. Look at what Jesus did. Look at how he got involved. Friends, anybody here, that, anybody here perfect? Would you raise your hand if you're perfect today? Come on. No takers. Oh, someone in the back. Excellent. None of you are perfect, and yet look how engaged Jesus is with you. Look how he's never left you. You've got to be willing to engage emotionally with people. Don't be afraid to let their hurt be your hurt. Don't be afraid to let their problems come into you. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Some of you are saying, gosh, Shane, this sounds awfully codependent. And I want to be clear. I'm not talking about enabling. I am talking about patience, which is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I'm trying to say. If you study the New Testament, don't you see that Jesus Christ was always getting drained? <laughs> Jesus Christ was drained by the mute. Jesus Christ was drained by the woman. What did he do? He was always going off to pray. Because he, he was always getting drained, so he had to get filled up. Let me show you two bodies of water. 
represent two types of people. Here's the first body of water you can see. And this body of water, there's no outlet and there's no inlet. There's no coming in and there's no going out. And does that look like you'd have fun swimming in it? No, of course not. What's the nature of that kind of water? There's no outflow, there's no inflow, it's just stagnation. This is what a lot of Christians are. But if you go to a body of water where there's a lot of outflow and a lot of inflow, Oh, man, life grows in water like that. That's healthy, living water. So what I'm trying to say is you need to get emotionally involved with the people around you. You need to listen to their hurts. You need to, you need to take them in. And so then if you take them in, what are you going to have to do, by the way? If you take in people's problems, who are you going to have to go to? You're going to have to go to your great high priest, just like Jesus did. And you're going to have to say, Father, take care of me. Now, if you refuse to be a priest to other people, if somehow you're trying to defend yourself, you're just trying to conserve yourself, then you won't be driven to the real high priest either. If all you're doing is conserving your energy, well, that's good for you, but you're never needing God to replenish you. You'll be more stagnant than you will life-giving. So don't be afraid to engage emotionally. Ready? Number three, write this down. Last thing, we'll be done. Engage spiritually. Engage spiritually. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of you, I'm sure, you have only ever come to Jesus as a prophet, but never as a priest. Now, do you know how I know that? See, Jesus is a prophet. He tells you how you should live. You could just go read again later. Go read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And you'll see Jesus as prophet. He says things to you like, don't lust, don't hurt, don't resent. He tells you how to live. Don't break the law. So when usually I ask a person, and this is what I ask people a lot, I say, are you a Christian? Here's a tell. Sometimes they'll say to me, well, you know, pastor, I sure am trying. I'll say, are you a Christian? They'll go, pastor, I'm trying. Now, I'm going to say to you, if you answer me that way, that's a person who is not a Christian. That's a person who is only coming to Jesus as a prophet, but not a priest. No, the Bible says you have to come to Jesus as both prophet, priest, and king. And to come to Jesus as a priest is to say, I realize I could never try hard enough or to be good enough. Father, you stand before me in front of God and plead my case. Go to God for me and speak to God for me. Beseech the heavens for me. Be my advocate. Be my sacrifice. In other words, Jesus, I need you to come and be in my shoes. And look what it says in Romans. Jesus Christ, who died, is at the right hand of God. What's he doing? He's interceding for us. Oh, God Almighty, accept me for Jesus' sake, is what I say. Now, that's what it means to be a Christian. It could be today, some of you, you, all you've ever done is come to Jesus as a prophet. You're trying to work your way to heaven and God says, I'm sorry, you've got it all wrong. You need to accept me as your priest. I'm the only one that can do it for you. I'm the only one that can save you. I'm the only one that can satisfy you. One more thing. Guys, listen. One of the reasons it's so hard for us to sympathize with others is because we're not continually going to them the way it says we should here. It says, see him as your priest. He sympathizes, he cares. 
go to him and say, I know he loves me in spite of what I've done. I know I'm in him, and because I'm in him, I'm forgiven. My problems right now, they look terrible, but he has a purpose. Why does he have a purpose for me? Because his problems had a purpose for him. Why do my sufferings have a reason? Because his sufferings had a reason. Why will my death lead to a resurrection? Because his death led to a resurrection. He's my priest. He loves me. He cares for me. I'm in him. Go to him. And the more you go to him, listen to me, the more you go to him, the more you'll really be a priest to others. You'll engage personally. You'll engage emotionally. You'll engage spiritually. That's what the virgin birth means. Guys, that's what incarnation means as we prepare to celebrate for Christmas, as you're getting ready, as you're preparing, as you're decking the halls and wrapping the presents, that you just say, God, make me more like you. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your good work in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Lord, I ask that you would meet us right where we are. And Lord, help us to be more and more like you, that we'd walk with you like never before, that we'd seek you like never before, and that we would emulate who you are. Your word says that you said to your followers, to you I give the keys of the kingdom. Lord, you give us the power to open and close doors for other people. Help us to be priests. You said that you've made us to be a kingdom of priests unto our God. Help us, Lord, to be like you in every way. I pray in Jesus' name that you'd bless every person. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, maybe they've come to you as prophet, but they don't know you as priest. They don't know that you're their substitute, that you've taken all the punishment for their sin. Would you reveal yourself to them right now? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.